Hello, welcome back to the Burning Eye podcast. My name is Bridget Hart. I'm the host and editor of Burning Eye Books, the indie publisher for spoken word and performance poetry based in the Southwest. For those of you that have been kept up with each episode, thank you so much for returning um, and giving everyone a little bit of support. For those of you just joining, um, you might want to go back and listen to our previous episodes as we have been talking to our poets of 2020 and 2021 as they release their new books into the world. Lots of you know that the pandemic has really apprehended live events, spoken word artists in particular, as well as uh, musicians and theatre. It's been a tough time, not going to lie. Um, but we are really, really delighted to um, see the innovation of the digital world that we're doing now and some outside stuff getting back out there. So thank you so much for all of your support to all of our poets. They really, really appreciate it. And so do we. Um, today's episode, we are interviewing the fabulous Tina Sederholm, whose new book, This Is Not Therapy, is out now. Um, you can get it from our website and you can also get it from Tina Direct or your local bookshop. Hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, get an ice latte, sit back and enjoy. Hello, hello to you, Tina Sederholm. Hello, Bridget Hart. Hi. Hey. Oh so lovely to see your face. Our listeners can't see your face, but it's a privilege that I get as host of this podcast. So look at your lovely face. Oh, and look at yours. Look at yours. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, a whole range of faces. Yeah, you yeah. don't know what you're missing out on here. But I'm, I'm very much like when people take a photo of me and I know they're taking a photo of me, I pull the most ridiculous face ever. I can't just smile in a photo. I'm like, <laughs> um, but yeah, a good, a good googly face. Good googly face is the way yeah. to go. And a great way yeah. to start today's podcast. Yeah. So as our listeners know, I like to start off by describing the weather today. The weather is glorious sunshine. It's very warm outside, which makes a change to um, the rain that we've been having for so long. You know, it's quite nice to actually have a summer yeah. and see where that's going. It's going to be nice to be outside later, I think. So, Tina, how are you? How have you been? Obviously, we released uh, your new book, This Is Not Therapy, last week. Woohoo! Yay! It was so exciting. Um, I, I, gosh, I find how are you a very difficult question to answer. Like you can, I, I think I wrote a poem about that in my last, my last collection. But you know, you can do that. I'm fine, but I am half Swedish, which means that basically we do have to have a deep psychological analysis of how I am. Um, either of quite monosyllabic, and it is just one word, or it's like, well, I had this dream. <laughs> I really like going into that part of my heritage of like, oh, do you want to know who, how I am? I can really tell you. So I'm good. I'm all of, I'm all of the things. I feel like, uh, you know, um, my husband and I, Neil and I were um, reflecting on where, what it was like sort of this time last year when we'd been in lockdown and we'd, we'd we had a jolly, basically quite a nice lockdown because <laughs> we live somewhere beautiful and everything calmed down and I'm like wow that was amazing and then this year suddenly in the last sort of three months chaos appears to have ensued you know and we've gone there's lots of people cheering about yay let's get back to normal I was like no normal was a bit you know rubbish in some ways I, I like the sort of laid back thinking about things you know chatting to my neighbor every day <laughs> I like I like that little homely existence so 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. I think um, this this year is sort of a weird sort of tension of people wanting to move forward and other people being like, no, no, wait, hold on, let's, you know. <laughs> so now we're in this like weird period where everything's really busy mm. and um, there's lots of online stuff going, but now the the outside stuff is also happening again, which yeah. I think is bringing a lot of joy to people that are able to do outside gigs and stuff at the moment. You know, a spoken word artist will basically take a gig wherever we can. Oh my, well, you know, I, <laughs> yes. I mean, basically what I, you know, one of the reasons we pushed the publication of the book to July was uh, sort of six, eight months ago, we thought, well, we'll probably be doing live gigs by then. And as, as July came, I was like, oh, still don't know, don't know. And I, I have actually done my first live gigs to, so one, um, was uh, at Offbeat in Oxford, which is a sort of new theatre festival. And I did the show, well, I was supposed to do it five times, but it ended up being four because I had a no show. But each audience was only one audience member or a bubble. And having not performed live for a year, and then the first audience member was somebody I grew up with, like opposite. He has known me <laughs> since I was born, she's a bit older. And I'm doing this, and I'm bringing out all these stories about my, I'm like, oh, you know that one, you know that one. It's like, oh, so strange, but so good as well to be performing. I had one bubble of four coming and I was like, oh my God, this is a huge audience. And I'm thinking, who is this crazy woman that we've booked to see? It's just like, hello, hello, sit far away, masks on, but yes, you know. Um, and then I just uh, have done, I've done what I call garden gigs, which I did last year to try out some of the material for the book, realizing that, you know, I hadn't, I usually work my material through a lot in front of audiences and I just hadn't done that. So I've re, so that was sort of like six people in a garden and somebody bought some wine. I'm like, right, I'm going to do poems at you for an hour and a half. Tell me which ones you like. Now this year I'm doing something that's a bit more polished. And, uh, oh my God, it was, because it was a little bit of me during lockdown going, you know what, I can, apparently I can survive without going on stage. I mean, I know I love that thing. Maybe I'm, I'm a lady of a certain age. I am 53 now. And, uh, and I was like, is that part of my life over? You know, do I have to contemplate that? Um, and I was like, well, I'm really glad I learned that my happiness does not rely on me being on stage. You know, that I can be happy with other things. Because you can get into that kind of like, oh, that's such a thrill. Nothing else compares sort of thinking. So that's the only place I'm happy. So I'm really glad I got over that. Yeah, but I have to been, say, being being on stage, awesome. Yeah, awesome. there's nothing there's nothing to compare to that feeling, is there? And I mm. think there was a lot of mourning and grieving going on for mm. that for a long time for a lot of people. But I I also feel like when one door closes, sort of another another opens, and I mm -hmm. think it's given spoken word artists a real opportunity to hone their craft in different ways. You know, lots of people doing really inventive like home videos. Um, yeah online performances, audio, um, things that they might not necessarily consider before because they're out doing the live events. But I also agree with you that performing on a stage, there's nothing, nothing quite like that feeling is there, you know, yeah. and, and like you say, it could be like one person and you're like, ah, yes, <laughs> which, uh, you know, for people listening, one person at a poetry gig is, is basically a full house. <laughs> yes, and um, it's success. Because this is the other thing I learned during lockdown is set a very low bar for joy. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, yeah, agree. <laughs> you know, so somebody turned up, yes, 
brilliant um so yeah everything everything from that is even even better good well i'm glad that you're finding joy that's always a good thing and there is so much joy to be found in this is not therapy mm. i think you know you go for the book title sometimes and you're like oh no what's this going to be sort of about but i feel like as a follow-on from your first book um that you did with us it's yeah. it's a continuation of tina's joy and Tina working out her joy in difficult subjects. And yeah. I think you do it in such a way that is warm and inviting and non-judgmental, I think is a big mm -hmm. thing for me. You know, there's lots of poets out there, myself included, who will write about the difficult relationships they have in their life. And it will have a very um, somber tone to it or, you know, reflective in, in a way that's sort of more of a, hmm, yes, yes yes I feel that kind of way mm. but with your book it's it's laughter it's joy it's in some places confusing but I think that's because you're you're bringing that forgiving element to to certain pieces and certain people that you're talking about in your life mm. um and I love that I love that approach that you've taken with with this is not therapy I think it's beautiful Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I didn't want to do another book until I felt like I'd gone on um, a few stages in my thinking and in my, you know, the quality, hopefully the quality of my writing. I, that was the kind of, I was so proud of everything wrong with you is beautiful. That was a real benchmark for me. Um, and I just, uh, and I kind of traded off that, you know, that was kind of like I reached a pinnacle or, or uh, not a pinnacle. What's the word for Oh, you know, pit stop, whatever. Um, I'm, a, I'm a professional writer and I'm very good with words. Oh, yes, aren't we all? Plateau. Knew it was a P. Oh, yeah, plateau. Uh, yes. Word of the day, everyone. Plateau. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so, I, you know, I, um, it was lovely to inhabit that material for a, a, a good couple of years but and then slowly start working on some other thoughts. But I wanted to sort of hold that. It's not um hold that idea of being joyful with the, the pleasure and the pain like hold all of it it's not oh i'm not going to look at the negative stuff because that makes me miserable because you life doesn't let you avoid that pain you can try you can try any anesthetic you like um but at some point you are feeling it and or oh, this is my experience anyway and uh and i think sometimes in order to feel joy not in order to feel joy but if you feel joy you've also no grief very well or pain or sadness and it's holding it's like how how do i hold all of it how do i walk the line which goes yes i know there's some really bad crap in the world and and some of it touches me and some of it doesn't because i'm a very fortunate person but how do i hold that that's there but also see where the beauty is where the joy is because i know that i'm more use to other people when I'm holding that focus, like I, if I'm sad and sick, I'm not that much help to somebody who's sad and sick. And that is not to say I'm not going to look at your sadness or your sickness, I can, but I, I need that cushioning mm, resilience in me to go, I hear you and, and you might not see it yet, but there's, there is, there's light here somewhere. There's light here somewhere. So I'm yeah. glad that came over because that was my aim. Good, yeah. No, and I think it's a great time to, to do it. I mean, there's been mm. so much loss and grief and mm. sadness and anxiety, collective anxiety in the world at the moment, um, yeah. you know, for what's 
what's happening, not just with the coronavirus, but with the political unrest everywhere in the world. You know, you pick up yeah. a newspaper every day and you, and you see it there. And to, you know, and poetry is such a powerful tool. And to have a book, like you say, that is acknowledging and holds all of that together. And it's like, you know, mm. the light with the darkness and where's that middle ground? How do you find your way through that? And I think you found your way through that in a very Tina way. <laughs> <laughs> which is to have so much of your signature warmth and wit in there you know I think mm -hmm. I love a I love a book that wants to talk about trauma that wants to talk about it from like a funny angle because <laughs> you know I feel like some of the most traumatized people are, are also the, the funniest people yeah. you know who have learned to to yeah have resilience with you know and, and find that with humor um and yeah I mean obviously there's a few poems in there about your parents and things which um I've, that's been a really big topic for me at the moment is wanting mm -hmm. to write about the difficult relationships I have with my parents um, or my parent um, and and having their having my mum sort of leaning over my shoulder and being like well you can't write that or you can't yeah. say that you know and, and was I'm that like, literally or metaphorically she was leaning over oh no and sometimes you know I'll be like oh I've written this poem about you and she'll be like um yeah but that didn't happen like that and I'm like poetic license mother you know or, or you know whatever and sometimes I just joke with her and I'm like do you know what I'm just going to write about you when you're dead so if you could just you know yeah. you know haha -ha. um but you've you've uh, navigated that so well in terms of having a difficult it's very obvious that you've had a, a difficult relationship with with your father mm. in particular in the book and the way that yeah. you have written about it is the the feeling I got from those poems is that you're you're forgiving but you're you're still acknowledging their faults and, and yeah. you know it's not painting them in a light that's like uh wonderful and da, da, da. Yeah. you're like this is the, the the dark side of of this relationship but yeah the forgiveness is there and I think that's such an important tool when you're healing yeah in particular yeah and the the thing is I think it's also or my again my experience but I have also read other people saying this it, you know you um it's important not to do the sort of spiritual forgiveness bypass like try not to feel the try to get to forgiveness before you felt the anger and the despair and the and um and uh, that's where i mean i was i was quite anti-forgiveness for a long time because <laughs> i was yeah. like no no that you know am i not acknowledging what happened you know what happened here um, or what I felt, because uh, as with any experience, ultimately it's through my, it's through your own lens mm. that you see things. Um, and so, yeah, I, it took me a while. It's the same uh, towards the end of the book. I, I talk a bit about gratitude and gratitude was a word I hated for years, especially grateful because it's got this sort of sh silent should be grateful in front of it. And I hated that as a child, that icky feeling of like, say, thank you. Mm. And, you know, and, uh, and, and you get the self-help gurus telling you, well, you know, one of the quickest ways to come present is to find things you're grateful for. Now, fuck off. Oh my God, I hate it. You know, so hate it. And what yeah, are you grateful for today? What are you grateful for? Well, the thing is that that comes from, the, the, the icky feeling for me around that comes from that when we have a self-view, which is that we're bad or we need to be, we need to be taught how to be grateful. But if you've ever seen a child in front of a firework display and then I can't do it, we're on a podcast, I can't do the face. But you know, you just see, you see their fight like, whoa and that is gratitude just 
comes up spontaneously from inside is nothing anyone needs to be taught. And yet our culture starts enculturating us to behave in these specific ways, basically to lie, you know, because you've got to pretend to be grateful when you couldn't give a shit for the purple scarf that granny knitted you. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but no, learn how to lie and learn how to manipulate people. You'll go a long way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so sort of jumping off the forgiveness thing, I had to kind of do a lot of work with gratitude. And okay, what? Why is this not sitting well in me? Like, let's take out. Let's not say that Tina's re reaction is wrong. Let's say, what if um, my guts, that icky feeling that happens, is trying to tell me something really useful? Uh, so yeah, sort of straight off forgiveness. But that there, there is a lot of that. There is a lot of that in there. And, um, and the other part of my parents, like the, I, I've, I've had the sort of the, um, uh, what, uh, David Lynch calls the eye of the duck moment. Oh in yeah. Film. Yeah. So my eye of the duck moment, which is in the book, but I snuck it in, I snuck it into a poem is, is that, uh, my mum, my dad now has Alzheimer's and my mum was looking after him for a long time and it was just got too much and she had her own health issues. So. We had a difficult decision to put him in a home um and we did you know and she she's nearly 80 and she got married when she was 20 and a couple of days after we put him in the home she turned to me and she said how do i do this bit and she meant how how do i face how do i do life without a husband because ostensibly that's what it is and you know how you even if your parents are a bit rubbish you you still there's well the first part of your life you think they're gods and they know everything and then as a teenager you're like these people are idiots and then somewhere else along the line you get a little bit of understanding of where they might have been coming from but even so even in my 40s say i couldn't fix something i would be on the phone like dad what is a stopcock <laughs> and how do you turn it off quickly <laughs> you know that's who i'm going to turn to for answers but when my mum said how do i do this bit i realized she's been making it up as she goes along. She was growing up while I was growing up. Mm. And I thought, I mean, it was just so, it was such a little thing, but I was so um, mind blown by it because I thought, well, because I'm definitely making up as I go along. Mm. I mean, totally, everything is, is DIY and, you know, and I thought, oh my God, I've read this before, but I didn't have that visceral experience of we are, we don't know what the frig we're doing and that's okay. And they didn't know and that's okay. And they did it, you know, my, my father had an appalling stepfather, his, his own father. He never saw his father again after his age of three. And uh, his stepfather was a, 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 a horrible man who would beat the children if their hands were too red from cycling in the cold. You know, they weren't allowed to come to the table with red hands because that was an, it just, just, so no wonder he was a bit crap at times. Yeah. At, at parenting. He didn't have much of a, you know, he didn't have much of a chance. I am talking a lot. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a valid point in terms of uh, your experience of generational trauma and how that yeah. has passed on from your parents to you. And, and I think this is not therapy is really good at being like okay well how am i going to break this cycle yes how am i going to not do this in my own life with my own relationships um mm. you know and then like you say towards the end of the book you move into gratitude which i think is is that counter 
to that mm-hmm. generational trauma well i'm going to be i'm going to find what true gratitude is and mm-hmm. find the joy in the things that my parents didn't find joy in um mm-hmm. and bring those things to life in a book that other people can can get things to because what you're saying there about that that sort of generational trauma is so common with so many people's yeah. parents isn't it you know yeah. a lot of people in my generation feel that from their parents who felt it in their from their parents you know and mm-hmm. it's it waters down it trickles down into the way that mm-hmm. you cope with things and the way that you see the world and i feel like this is not therapy is very dissident of that you're very much like nope that's them i'm acknowledging that pain and mm-hmm. and the way that they have lived their lives but that is not who i am and that isn't this book is move channeling me in a direction that is to find joy mm. Um, and to find joy for them as well because mm. that's the thing in it is that you bring yeah. you know you took there's instances where you're talking about you know fancy dress parties when you were a kid right up to your neighbors offering their field up for you know for things and there's all these examples of places in your life where that joy is is there but it, you're uncovered you've uncovered it you're going back and you're uncovering that joy again revisiting it was there any part of the collection that you found that was particularly difficult to write or that you almost didn't put in there um oh that's a really good question um (laughs) there are some bits i (laughs) i think oh gosh um I think it was all written, it was written over quite a long period of time. I'm not, I really admire these poets who can, I mean, I can get a first draft out quickly, but I work and rework and rework stuff um, and revisit. I mean, the, um, there's a poem in there about not lying to children. It's one about um, when the six-year-old asked me, you know, so where do dead people go? And I, I want to do this really flip answer. And, and I first wrote that poem uh in about 2009 and 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 it's quite funny for me to look through the earlier drafts where basically i wanted it to be a slam piece so it was really flippant there's some appalling couplets <laughs> that got eradicated i mean really bad like life is a game of monopoly right <laughs> um uh, um uh, yeah just just you know and that poem got put away and bought it but it would it would kind of revisit me every year and be like I've got something for you. I've got, and and it also went through evolution of me trying to think about ideas of where do we go after we die? What's heaven? You know, what what was true for me changed. So I had to change the poem several times. I'm like, mm, that was that was an old version of my thinking. So um, I don't think there was anything that I didn't dare to put in there. Um, because one thing I really learned, especially from making the show Everything Wrong With You Is Beautiful, which went with the with the book was that um, I had this one particular story that I really didn't want to tell uh, because it was so personal. And um, uh, (laughs) so I ended up writing 27 drafts of that show. And on about draft, one thing I do is uh, when I'm drafting is I'll leave a, a draft for a week or two and then I come back and I read it like I'm a different person and I write myself a field report like I'm an editor going right well this is working you know I just almost I put my glasses on like right dear this is how we're going to <laughs> so I pulled about I think version 13 or 14 out I read it and I fell asleep halfway through reading my own show <laughs> I mean, not just a little bit. What a asleep. good sign. <laughs> it was not a good sign. And, and when I woke up, I was like, this is because you 
are trying to avoid put, putting that bit in which you think is going to be really shameful. And it was that moment I was like, oh, that has, like this show is going, refuses to work unless you put that in. And you can put it in a way, in a, in, in a way that protects you. Um, but it, it, this is actually, that's the eye of the duck again. That's the key to it. Um, so I have learned that the thing I'm trying to avoid and I will say the thing I was trying to avoid with this is not therapy is because there's quite an ongoing relationship, uh, a conversation within the book about um, do I believe in a higher power or God or, you know, I don't even want to say the G word. I mean, you know, I, I'm like, I don't even want to put it on the back of the book because that's going to polarize people immediately because the word God has so much baggage that comes with it. And I've had such a sort of trail in my life where I kind of believe in something bigger but what version and how and then no this is all rubbish and then sort of falling in love with biblical stories and going oh but the stories are really good and I understand now when I've read commentaries about them I understand more about the subtext the historical context and the, the importance of one word which got mistranslated by the time it got to English and like oh I love this stuff but it's so uncool Ugh. so I would say that was the thing that took longest was how do I where am I truthful in that this is a journey um, I drop the part of me that wants to look cool to all the people who are like it's all a load of shit like because I'm always trying to impress someone uh, uh, you know but I've got to drop that and go you know what I'm having a conversation with myself in this book about this tricky subject. I don't know where I'm going to get with it. But I, again, I, I, I feel that's kind of indicative of our times is that it's actually getting harder to have an open conversation about subjects. Then that, that's also, remember. you know, the best poems and the best books I've read over the last year have been where people have, have gone, looked at their shame and embraced it and been like, mm. okay, but I'm still going to write about it. I'm still going to put it out in the world because like you say, it's, you know, we can get caught up in the readership or the perceived readership of yes. the book before we've even got the book out into the world. <laughs> Probably and bloody written a word. <laughs> and yeah. And it can suck the joy right out of it because you're trying to uh, be all rounded or, in, you know, um, uh, not make people feel uncomfortable. And, and yeah. but that's in many respects, the point of poetry is to make people think and to make people yeah squirm a little bit and, yeah. and I think you do that really well because there's so many things in my life that I'm very polar about black and white about a lot of things and I think mm. this is not therapy is really showcasing the gray areas of things and being yeah. like and it's okay to sit in those areas and it's okay to not have all the answers and to um to not have the same opinions as everybody else yeah and I think you have to have quite a lot of you know, I wouldn't always sound like I'm, I've got a big secret I'm hiding here, which is not. I would not always advertise my opinions on social media because I think there's so much room to be misconstrued. Mm. Um, I would much rather have a conversation with a single person. Oh, not a single, as in not married. I don't mean that at all. Uh, uh, but, you know, sort of in a small setting and listen to be. And I listen to people with opinions. I, you know, I live in the countryside. <laughs> there are opinions, people with opinions that are quite different to mine <laughs> and um uh you know uh and um but to kind of just sit there and go okay can i see where they and might not agree i might not like them the person or the opinion but can i kind of see where they're coming from because i think that's the only way we're going to create any healing in the world it's not by so you know i mean we've got we've got appalling bigotry in this country 
Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's part of us, we're actually, we don't want to say it because it doesn't fit in weirdly with our British sensibility is that, you know, we're a tolerant society that embraced people and now suddenly we're not. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like there's a, there's a different urgency with it now because yeah. it's more prevalent and, you know, a lot of people are finally a bit acknowledging how racist yeah. this country is. Yeah. And I think if you're coming from a position of white privilege, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just agreeing with what you're saying. I'm just going to repeat. repeat yeah, no, very very no. boring way to have a conversation is to repeat back what you just said. But, no, so absolutely, but you know, I think I think you do that well in the book. You acknowledge your privilege a lot mm. in the book. And I think that's something that a lot of white women in privileged backgrounds do not do and mm. will often talk about, you know, their own oppressions and things like this. But you come at it from a from a much wider lens and a much wider context. Mm. Um, which in some ways is difficult and you know not everybody is going to to pick up that book and go oh yeah well I totally agree with that but that but it has a space and people should be reading this book in order to find that forgiveness that balance between I come from a difficult past in terms of my family's views or the people that are around me and their views I don't think like that but mm. I exist in that world yeah absolutely yeah so you're, you've done, we've uh, released on our Instagram live, our, our IGTV, um, uh, a video from, from the Barnstaple. Um, Barnstaple, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, how that, that's working out this year, because I know that they, you know, mm. lots of fringes are going online and stuff. How was it for you having to then move your stuff into a video format and what kind of devices, do you know, I obviously you've used the, the nature around you in, in your hitchhikers video to do that. Yeah. Like um, how easy was that for you to do, to get out there and, and do it in that context? Oh, well, the weird, the weird thing is Neil and I met making a film that I'd written oh. and he was, he was bought in the sound man dropped out like on the eve of the shoot. And, and somebody just went, Oh, there was this guy who did the sound on our dance film. Maybe he can do it. Um, so that's how we actually met. Um, so um, when we first got together, we made like quite a few very silly, pretty fucking crap films, if I'm honest. Uh, um, you know, just playing around. But we hadn't done anything properly for about six, seven years. So we were really out of practice. <laughs> and what um, uh, Theatre Fest, which is what the Barnstable Fringe is called, did this year, was because of course they were at the end of June, didn't know where the restrictions were going to be, and they had a number of live shows down in Barnstable, but they were done, uh, they just had a couple of cameramen uh, live streaming, you know, filming them and live streaming them, and then I did, because I had no bookings, and then I got two bookings on the same day, because I got booked for Offbeat the same day, uh, there are a few companies who, who pre-recorded films, which were slotted into this, like, I think it was six, seven hours worth of, in fact, you can still go and see it. If you go to Theatre Fest, um, there's some really great artists who've done some very inventive stuff there. Um, so it was, uh, so what the Hitchhikers is just an excerpt from that because it was a 10 minute film we did. Um, it was great fun and it was completely nerve wracking because I, uh, I, <laughs> because I'd only just learned the material. 
I hadn't really performed and and we did we, we shot one load of stuff and I was so wooden oh my god I was so like and I put I had poetry voice on I was like who what version of Tina just turned up for this I'm like really sorry Neil we're gonna have to shoot all of that bit again because I have now remembered how to be a human being uh um, but it was really good for getting back into performance because you know when you watch yourself back and you're like oh my god i i thought i was being really sincere but no <laughs> i'm like no i'm in my foe this is very important what i'm saying people um so by the end we had a, a huge amount of fun making it uh the dogs we were <laughs> again because of restrictions it was difficult to get an indoor venue to shoot in so i went right we'll do it all outside of course it rained all of may oh obviously one day it didn't rain and we snuck down to our local cemetery because that's what's fun around here yeah um it's a really nice space uh and i'm like let's just sh like shoot a bit of going in and out of a gate i'll do a poem there don't really want anyone to see because someone's going to say oh should you be doing this in here but most of the time there's no one, it'll be fine. Um, but you can see, it's not in the hitchhiker's bit, but in that bit, you can see my eyes just going, flicking over to the sky. I'm like, is someone coming in? But then we're halfway through it and the red arrows come over doing oh. a rehearsal. Okay, so Neil's freaking out because of the sound. That finishes after 10 minutes, like, okay, still nobody in here. Right, shoot another bit. We start again. Everyone in the world turns their lawnmowers on because it's the <laughs> one day it hasn't freaking rained. Like, oh. All those things we'd forgotten about that can happen on an outdoor shoot, you know. Well, I say outdoor shoot. Oh my goodness. I'm sounding like, you know, it's Neil with his 10 year old video camera and, uh, you know, and, and me with trying not to basically not move my boobs so the mic doesn't rustle on my shirt. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're, we're not we're not high tech at all. Um, but it was it was lovely to make it. It was lovely to make it. But it was all it was all kind of like. Oh, <laughs> no, I think it's really cool because I've seen some great poetry videos. Malika Kagode did one called As Wide as the Sea, which is 20 minutes mm. long um, exploration of being queer. And she just did it all in her own house and with yeah. like some projections that she she had um, uh, someone do some art stuff for it and some animation for it. But the majority of it, she just filmed, you know, at home, you know, doing her makeup and stuff like that. Um, and I'm really excited by the, that kind of DIY element yeah. coming back into poetry because I think yeah. a lot of it is you know I've been I've been in this game for about 12 years and mm. it has changed so much oh my god yes you know there's so many more people doing spoken word now so many more so many more poets indie presses are out there now you know there's so much it's got so big all of a sudden you know so yeah. before there'd be like 50 people applying for an apples and snakes project and now there's like you know 700 people applying yeah. for you know it's just it's just got so big but i think lockdown has allowed us to move back into that diy space and be like yeah. well i have to do this on my own and i have to find ways to do that and i have to use the landscape around me yes in order to be able to produce something that doesn't have to be perfect um but I feel like film is a really exciting place to be in right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And there was that, um, you know, my poor perfectionist had to be parked somewhere in the corner of the garden because uh, um, some of it we shot, we shot him um, just in a place in my mum's garden. And uh, and I could feel her sort of weeping away of like, what is it? Nobody's directing me or telling me what to do. But having that, but but also it was great fun to be doing stuff like, right, we'll just, we'll just sneak in this bit of the woods anyone around no quick shoot 
right on okay do it um uh, there's you know there's something so um uh uh oh, what's the word i'm looking for yeah again professional poet um just but you know you there's a this vicarious pleasure of like slightly breaking the rules to make something and subversive yeah uh that, that subversive feeling put a sort of fire back in me which was really nice because i agree i mean it's amazing how spoken word has taken off because i've I've, I've been even longer than you. I mean, nearly 20 years uh, doing it. And um, I, um, I'm not going to complain about this, but I see some homogenization, which I maybe, you know, this is all I hate it when older people go, oh, in my day, like, no, things need to move on and change. And we need to go through waves and styles and, and genres and, and fashions is great because one influences another. But I, I do like, I think sometimes I'm like, oh, uh, maybe it's not cool to try and be funny anymore. <laughs> you know, stuff. There's a lot of very serious spoken word, which I love. I'm not nothing against people who could do a good serious piece. Because whenever I do something mm. funny, I'm like, I wish I could be serious. Yeah. And then when I do a serious piece, I'm like, but I really wish I was funny. You yeah. know, I never, yeah. you know, I always want to be part of the other yeah. crew, yeah. as it were. Um, uh, but uh, like you say, pulling in elements from other art forms just, and, and so that just adds, not not as um, not to put too many bells and whistles on, like uh, not to put superficial stuff on it, but something that appeals to you as a person gives will then inform your writing I, I can absolutely see the people who bring in a little bit of punk or uh i've just been working with a poet who's um, got quite a gothic undertone to what they do and i'm like yeah wear more black clothes like yeah, yeah really because it will you it'll seep out of your pores into your writing don't try and sound like anyone everyone else don't pick up that american rhythm <laughs> yeah that's my that's my like you know i know some brilliant american poets and i know when i hear that people especially english people are like come on get over it you haven't got an american accent you know yeah you're not that's not you that's not you i, I and i know that i tried i tried to be like um af harold at one point <laughs> very i mean I'm i joy. often say this to young poets coming up as well like there's always a space for you to imitate other artists i mean yeah. when i was starting out everyone was doing the k tempest and everyone yes. was doing the holly mcnish like it's a dance let's do the holly mcnish um <laughs> uh and and that is okay because eventually you will find your own rhythm, you'll find your own voice with it. And I think the thing is with poetry is that because it is so about you as an individual, you yeah. are the artist, you are the art, it takes a while. And also you change, you change over time. Yeah. You, know, you know, I used to be quite punk. I'm not really quite as punk as I used to be, you know, and my writing has changed because of that. You know, I'm no longer writing for that, that, that angry stage anymore and I'm I'm doing you know queer Greece poems now you know but I think you have to you know it's fluid you have to allow for that change you know and to to move with the with what's happening and and you know go against the grain a little bit it's also very much which is why I'm really proud of what we're doing at Burning Eye because we publish so many different artists yeah. with so many different identities and we don't have a set style or way of doing things it's every person is an individual and we tailor what we do to them you know rather than the other way around and i think yeah yeah and and i think i would uh, absolutely echo what you're saying and saying also it's so much fun to allow yourself to inhabit those different spaces mm. uh you know i think as um as soon as you think oh i i found my voice like go somewhere else <laughs> yeah 
challenger, keep challenging you, keep yourself on your toes, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Because because especially, you know, when we do get back to performing a huge amount live, and when you've done that poem 200 times, it's really freaking nice to go and do something completely different or throw in something from left field. Mm. Uh, I know I've watched poets as well who I've thought, oh yeah, you've been doing the same material a long time. And there goes comes they, the, there's a period in a relationship with a poem where I find you can do it on stage and then about the 25th time you're like, I just found something new there. Mm. I mean, usually it's like, I could drop that line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you find a nuance on, or somebody laughs at a place they didn't laugh before and you're like oh you're right that could be that could be funny or that could be more I could actually drop to a, a deeper place there and be allow more of a pause or whatever yeah. and when you're working with a piece like that that's brilliant and then there comes a time when there's just a little bit of rope that comes in mm. and then it's time to give that baby a little rest and maybe never see it again yeah uh, absolutely yeah right so I have uh, just one more question before okay. I uh, get you to uh, read a poem for us for the mm. end of the, the episode. So my question is, and I've been asking everyone this, um, mm. and objectively it's quite a cool question. The question mm. is, if you could be entertained by one spoken word artist for the rest of your life, who would it be? Oh, no. Oh, I don't think this is unfair as being like you could read one book for the rest of your life. No, yeah, no, no. I mean that's a de the desert. Oh, that's really unkind. That's not cool. But one spoken word artist who one. you think could entertain you for the rest of your life. Could I have two? No. Oh. Choose. <laughs> okay, you can you can have two. I'm feeling generous. Oh, so good. So, this is who I choose. Uh, Selena Gordon. Great choice. Yeah, I, I would also pick Selena Godin, actually, I think. Because she, she, she gave me, uh, not directly me, but she said something that really stuck with me, which is you should always go on stage a little bit scared, like you're going to do a piece which scares you. Mm. Um, and I think to keep the freshness on, and she does that, and she re-inhabits her pieces every time. It's like, you know, she's usually got them on a piece of paper as well. So it, you feel like maybe she just wrote this. Yeah. And yet she knows it as well, that she holds that dichotomy. And so that would always, but I'd need her there as well. Yeah. Okay. And the other person is Johnny Fluffy Punk. Oh, Johnny. I love Johnny. I, when I was going through a, 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 a pretty difficult time um, when I had very bad fatigue and, um, and I lost, I lost a dog after a year, Bosco, mm. who you met. Yeah, Bosco. And he was only four and it was awful because he had lymphoma and he went in like 10, went from being healthy to 10 days and he was gone. And um, lots of other things. And he had his, um, the uh, Nihilist's handbook. Yeah. It's called that, isn't it? And I just read a little something from that. That was all I could really cope with. <laughs> Um, but he is, I think he's brilliant because again, you could say, oh, he's, he's a humorous poet. And then you read again, you're like, there is so much depth and compassion mm. in this yeah. as well as brilliant wordplay and so funny. And so, but, but there's that, that um, bitter sweetness underneath it. And I just, so, so somebody that I can just revisit again and again. And yeah. I love Johnny. Yeah. I love Johnny very much. Johnny, Johnny and Selena are two of my favourite poets who have 
I, I saw when I was starting out and they, I loved them. I really just wanted to be Johnny Fluffy Punk for a long time. But I can't grow the moustache. Nobody. I mean, no. I'm working on it. Yeah, me you too. I've got a few whiskers here. Um, but um, They'll never curl, will they? Nothing, nothing of the Fluffy Punk um, variety, unfortunately. But no, those are two, two great answers. So thank you for that. But there um, are many more. I want to see more. Well, you can't. You can't. That's it. I've oh. given you two. That was that was a push because everyone else just gave one. So <laughs> the sun's shining. I must be feeling really generous. Um, and so we've reached that part of the podcast, the end of the podcast. And I would like to invite you to read a poem from your new book, This Is Not Therapy. <gasps> well, do you know, I, I had a feeling you were going to ask me this. And um, I'm having trouble choosing. That's rubbish, isn't it? I tell you what. No. Come on, grow up, Sarah Home. You can choose. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do. I'm going to do this one that's called "Woman's Search for Peace." Um, it's it, particularly because the ending of it is a bit of an experiment for me. Um, as you will remember from the editing process, I changed the end. Of yeah. Poor. Um, poor uh, oh my goodness, Harriet. Harriet, sorry, <laughs> I had a complete brain fart then. Um, <laughs> Poor Harriet. I was like, no, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. She's like, is it now? Is it now? I'm like, no. And it's a poem I've been trying to write for about three years. So what I was very brave and I did what I advise lots of my clients, my poetry editing clients to do, which is like, just take the last verse off. And then, but that was a really brutal thing to do in this poem. And what it does is, um, usually I like to leave people with this like slightly cuddly feeling. And this one leaves you with, I think, um, a sort of, I'm going to shut up. Never explain your poem before you do it. Rookie. Um, <laughs> I'm following Selena's advice and I'm doing something that scares me a bit. Do it. Okay, let's do it. My inner PA believes I will achieve inner peace by finishing every item on my to-do list. Like the promise of a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow, my PA is sold on the idea that I will only find peace at the end of the list, which means there is no peace until the list is done. But the list is never done because the end of one to-do list always produces another one and another and another and a sub-list broken into action steps, one of which is to make a master list of lists. Imagine if I did reach the end of every list. World saved, obviously, <laughs> shows made, books written, accounts balanced, house more spotless than a showroom. Then what? Left with nothing to do, I'd have to write a notes for future generations list, a please don't forget me list, a what to do when I'm dead list. Because I bet I'll still get emails after I'm gone. I'll be on Vision Direct's list for a reminder every three months to reorder contact lenses and no one will know how to cancel it because you're not supposed to make a passwords list. Some days I can't do the list. But the list still produces another one and another and another and there is no peace because the list is never done. The list is never done. The list is never done. Oh. 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 <sighs> Yay! Oh, 
do you know what? It's been so long since I've seen you perform that I was just overcome with the Tina joy. <laughs> oh, oh, the Tina joy, which I, which I loved. And I love that poem. Um, oh, go away, Clive. I'll call him back from it. Um, uh, yeah, just amazing joy. And I hope I get to see you again soon. Oh, really I do. hope I get to see you too. And my mum does as well. My mum came to, um, the, the listeners, my, me and Tina and Agnes did a gig in Oxford that my mum drove up to surprise us at. And um, when your new, new book came out last week, I happened to be at my mum's for the weekend. And she was like, oh, Tina's got a new book out. And I was like, oh, oh. remember. She was like, I love Tina. She's got your book on her bedside table. Oh, my goodness. So I'm, I'm very happy to buy her the next one for her birthday. Oh oh thank you and i really hope my birthday present yeah i will hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast so. no i'm not gonna share it with her luckily she's not really a podcast person so oh. she doesn't have to listen to that bit i said earlier about death that's fine um <laughs> uh but tina it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and to catch up with you today um lots and lots of love and um Thank you so much for your work oh huge your love work. to you and i mean i love you guys at burning eye are you and Clive and Kate are just fabulous. What you do, I, I mean, I, I, I just love you. I love you so much. I love you too.